Today, we're looking at the role of the U.S. in the growing conflict. I'm going to start out by talking about a guy by the name of Joel Rosenberg. There is a difference. I am Rosenberg. I have two O's. He's Rosenberg. He has one. All right. We would agree on some things and we would disagree on some things. The role of the United States in Bible prophecy is definitely an area of disagreement. I'm going to give you just a brief synopsis of what Joel would tell you about the role of the United States in Bible prophecy. If you were to read his fictional books that begin with a book called Last Jihad and end with a book called Dead Heat, there's a whole series of how he thinks end-time events are going to play out. And I have read them. Uh, I've read lots of things that I agree with, and I've read lots of things that I don't agree with. But I read it. Here's a thought. If you never read something that you disagree with, how do you know you've got the right thing? Seriously. You better be willing to check things. Maybe I'm telling you things differently, but if you don't listen and check it to God's word, how are you ever going to know? So we need to check. Test all things, though, and hold on to Scripture, right? So Joel believes the United States doesn't have a role. But he also recognizes that if the United States exists, as we know it, it would be involved because the United States always gets involved in stuff all over the world, right? You have noticed that tendency, I'm sure. And so here's what he has to do to keep the United States from having a role. You've had an ongoing conflict between radical Islam and the rest of the world in his books. That's why it calls, starts with the last jihad. All right? You get the book Dead Heat, and there's been eight years of the current president, happens to be a Republican. It's fictional. You haven't missed anything All right, in the news. He's been in conflict with Islam for eight years. He can't run for re-election. His vice president is going to run to finish the job, and the world believes his vice president is going to win. It's at the big event of the Republican National Convention in Los Angeles. I don't know why you would have a Republican National Convention in Los Angeles. But anyway... That's not exactly their home turf. (laughs) And so they're having it there. And they're just coming out on the platform for the big moment of when they're announcing that, you know, he's officially won as the nominee for the Republican Party to become president of the United States. The president and the vice president come out on the platform for the big moment, kind of handing on the baton. And all of a sudden, the Secret Service's guys grab him, both the president and the vice president, and try to jam them into a safe room really quickly. But it was too late. For offshore, a North Korean freighter has just opened some containers and launched a nuclear missile that hits the convention center, incinerating the vice president, the president, and all the ruling party. I don't know if you realize how dangerous something like uh, inauguration or a political party convention is if it gets hit. Lest Democrats celebrate, 
the loss of the ruling party, the Republicans in this case. There's also another East Coast freighter. It opens up some containers and knocks off several of the cities on the East Coast, and that that freighter on the West Coast knocks off several of the major cities down the West Coast. That's the Democratic strongholds. And so the United States goes into end-time events leaderless and powerless and plays no role. That big of an event almost should have been in Bible prophecy. Why doesn't he see it? Because his blinders tell him it's not there. He only sees it the way he was told. I'm going to show you another way of looking at it. And it ends up making a lot more sense to me. And it shows you the role of the United States in Bible prophecy. Abraham Lincoln said, if we could first know where we are and whether we are tending, we could better judge what to do and how to do it. If you knew where you are in the flow of prophecy and you knew what was coming, it can help you make decisions, can't it? It might even help you know how to vote. Boy, that's a challenge to figure out sometimes, isn't it? The Bible says something similar to what Abraham Lincoln said. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. As we get closer to the coming of Jesus and this world gets crazier and crazier, it's important to know what the Bible says. It's a light that guides you. Hey, I'm a caver. I have led many caving trips. I was a a guide, an approved guide in a cave called Fitton Cave. Only had about 18 miles of passages. That's why you don't go in there without an approved guide. Even knowing the cave, I've never been lost for more than a couple hours at a time. That scared my group. (laughs) I never made that wrong turn again. Uh, But anyway, I will tell you, a light in a very dark place is important. How would you like to be miles underground without a light? In a cave that has many cliffs and drop-offs. I mean, a light takes it from being a really scary experience to a very enjoyable experience for me. God's word is that for us. Now, in Daniel... We've already talked about this papal-led Christian versus Islam conflict. There are three of them. And in the first conflict, the Crusades, the Christian world backed the papacy because they were afraid of Islam. Did the Pope have his own armies or did he borrow the armies of Europe? He borrowed them. During the Ottoman conflict, did he have his own army? Nope. But once again, because the world was afraid of Islam, they once again supported the Pope. This time it was called the Holy League instead of the Crusades. At the time of the end, whose military would he use? If you could choose any military in the world, at this point, whose military would you choose? It would be the U.S. military still at this point. Hmm. So, who are the allies of the papacy in this final conflict? Let's read what the Bible says about this final conflict. It's in Daniel eleven forty to 45. The conflict part itself is 40 to 43. At the time of the end, 
It's not pulling punches. It's telling you when this is, right? Right at the time of the end. The king of the south shall attack him. So if I'm right, that's Islam attacking papal-led Christianity. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. Watch the notice that this is not a long conflict. You guys live in Texas. You know what a tornado can do. Does a tornado take a long time to do its damage? No, seconds. It just rips things apart. Uh, Take a look at the military language. He's inner countries, overwhelms them, and passes through. Doesn't sound like a long conflict there either, does it? So the first one, the Crusades, took centuries. The second one, the Ottomans, took centuries. The third one's going to be relatively short. Years, decades, I'm not sure, but it won't be centuries. All right? Goes on. He, the king of the north, shall also enter the glorious land. That's Israel. Remember, papal-led Christianity controlled Israel for 100 years during the first one, the Crusades. And many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand. Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. That's western Jordan. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. Well, Ethiopia in the ancient world is more accurately described as Sudan-Ethiopia combination today. So here's a question. What does Western Jordan, Egypt, Libya, and the Ethiopian region, including Sudan, have in common? They're Islamic, aren't they? When the king of the south goes down, it describes, gives the names of Islamic places. Daniel uses place names intentionally. And he means what he says. So, in this third conflict, the king of the north is going to come roaring in with military power, but he doesn't have any power of his own. He's got to borrow it, just like he always has. Now, in our last presentation, we find out that the king of the north and the beast are one and the same. So now we can go to Revelation 13, where it describes the beast in verses 1 through 10, and then 11 and following shows you who the military enforcer is for the beast at the end time. Whose military would they have? Now, unfortunately, I say unfortunately because this is the way I think, John uses symbolism more than Daniel. So in Revelation, you've got to unpack a lot more symbols. When he uses place names, he uses them symbolically, and he uses all kinds of things symbolically, so you've got to figure it out. That's why I like Daniel better. He says what he means. (laughs) But anyway... Here's what we've got to do is figure out who the helper is. And it's Revelation 13, 11 and following. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb. And he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. Whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. 
He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So this beast with lamb-like horns ends up enforcing the wills or the desires of the first beast. And we discovered that was the papal system. So who's the second one? So let's unpack it piece by piece. Number one, it comes up out of the earth. Every other prophetic beast in Daniel and Revelation rises out of the sea. This is the only one that comes up out of the earth. Now, Revelation gives us a clue what the sea might represent. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. In Daniel and Revelation, you have a conflict going around the western end of the Mediterranean. It's got Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. They're all in conflict over Egypt and all these places, right? That he's just named. It's all around the western end of the Mediterranean. It's all about conflict over Jerusalem. And so out of this cradle of civilization, the Mediterranean world, one power after another comes up out of the sea of humanity. Water represents people. We still talk about it. The people flowed out of the stadium. We use metaphor of water for people. There was a sea of faces in front of me if you're in a big group. Metaphor for people, water. That's not unusual. But if water represents people, land would represent very few people. So you've got a power coming up in a relatively unpopulated area. It also has no crowns, representing no king. All right, now, it starts out like a lamb. And in the Bible, lamb-like either means peaceful or Christian-like, right? Hmm. But it ends up speaking like a dragon, which definitely is not Christian-like or peace-loving. It starts out one way and makes a change. It comes after the first beast has received its deadly wound. Comes up around, well, that first beast received its deadly wound in 1798. So according to the text, this second beast with lamb-like horns is going to be arising sometime around the first one going down. So somewhere around 1798. John Wesley said this. By the way, I just love this quote. Why? I love it when somebody pegs an event before it happens based on Bible prophecy. And he does. Here's what he says. He, meaning the second beast of the land beast, is not yet come, though he cannot be far off, for he is to appear at the end of the 42 months of the first beast. So the first one comes up out of the water, the second one comes up out of the land. And so in 1754, John Wesley is saying that second beast should be coming up any time now because in his calculations, the papacy had been in power for about 1,260 years. And so he's thinking any time now, we should have the second one coming up. I would say he was 100% correct when I look at the history. 
I believe we're talking about the United States of America in this prophecy. Let's go take a look at it in more detail. It comes up in a place outside of the Mediterranean basin. It comes up in a place with relatively few people. Now, I know there were Native Americans here, but go visit Mesa Verde and places like that. And just before the colonization of the United States, the Native populations took a nosedive. They're not sure what happened yet to this day. They just left whole cities in those cliff dwellings with food and baskets and stuff, and they were just gone. So, fewer no people, that match, no crown. (laughs) How well have kings done in U.S. history? (laughs) Not so well. And it seems like any time we have a government that starts to wield kingly power, they get pushed out of office over that, so far in this country, right? It comes after the first beast receives its deadly wound around 1798. Well, the United States fights the Revolutionary War just before that. And it's right around 1798 that the, the new Constitution is being ratified. You see, we first had the Articles of Confederation. That wasn't such a strong document. They come up with the current Constitution, but the states won't ratify it until they put the Bill of Rights on it. Then they start ratifying. And it takes a while. So that's happening just at this time period. Now, I want you to notice something. In 1798, the papacy exists, but nobody thinks much of it because it's been taken down. In 1798, the United States exists, but nobody thinks that much of it. It's not that powerful. As a matter of fact, it is so weak that by the time we get to 1812 or the War of 1812, the United States is so weak that the British come sail into Washington the harbors outside of Washington, D.C., come in and they ransack and burn the U.S. Capitol. How strong is the United States? We couldn't even defend our capital. So 18, early 1800s, the United States and the papacy both exist, but they're relatively weak. You come a little further and the United States starts gaining a little power and so does the papacy, but you hit the 1850s And the United States is headed into what? Civil War. And so the Civil War comes along, and although the United States looks like it's more powerful, the world still is not sure it's going to continue, and they're not so sure about the papacy either. You hit the 1900s, and you go into World War I, and the United States and the papacy are just one of many players. They're nothing that important. But between World War I and World War II, the United States builds a military machine. And when you go into World War II, the United States is just one of many players, but it comes out as the leading superpower. Between World War I and World War II, the papacy gets the Vatican back, and they begin to start throwing political weight around again. And after World War II, the United States and the Vatican skyrocket in the power side by side. I just want you to notice, from the deadly wound following, they climb together. The history matches. It starts out peace-loving, but ends up speaking like a dragon and pushing the world around, being the world's policeman. Can you tell me anybody else that does more world policeman work than the United States? I have a simple question. In the last 20 years since 9-11, 
have you been gaining or losing liberties? Everybody knows it's losing. All over the world, they know Americans are losing liberties. I asked that question outside the U.S. Yeah, it's changing. It says it's going to start out one way and go another way. Maybe you got an idea now why politics have become so volatile. Because in a changing world, it gets more volatile. Image of the beast. I believe that's uniting church and state. You see, the papacy was strong when it had both political and spiritual power. And it says, this new power is going to create an image to the beast. And when you start uniting politics and religion together, it gets messy. Have you ever heard of people wanting a Christian nation? That sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Not. Why is that? You can dig through history. You will not find one time since the time of Jesus that a Christian nation didn't, def- didn't persecute real followers of Scripture. Remember what Barna said on the research? Only five out of 100 Christians are born again with a biblical worldview. So if you have a Christian nation, who would win the election of what rules would be enforced, the 5% or the 95%? 95 always wins. And so you always get a false Christianity that's in it for political power that persecutes those that are following truth. Always has happened. There is not one exception in history. Which is why years ago when I was a pastor, and I haven't pastored now since 2011, I was serving as a pastor in the Boise, Idaho area, and I took on a side job. My side job was to be one of those evil lobbyists. (laughs) I had to wear a little green tag that said uh, lobby. The the green tag, the color identified me as a lobbyist when I was in the state house. I always had to wear it in the state house. And it said religious liberty on it. Northwest Religious Liberty Association. The color identified me as a lobbyist and the print identified me in what I was lobbying for. I would defend anybody's liberty, religious liberty, if I liked them or not. I didn't have money to throw around. I just had logic and what was the right thing to do. Mm, Money sometimes won. (laughs) And I didn't have that. But I literally would defend anybody. And some days the Republicans liked me and some days the Democrats liked me. By the way, while one liked me, the other hated me. <laughs> but why, what did Constantine do? He united his pagan political power with Christianity to gain more power. Have you ever heard politicians trying to merge politics and religion to get power? All the time, right? Someday, according to this prophecy, it really will be that way, and it won't be friendly. W.A. Criswell said this. He's a Baptist pastor at the time in a state called Texas when he said this. He was one of the first megachurch pastors. I believe that this notion of the separation of church and state was the figment of some infidel's imagination. Well, 
the separation of church and state as correctly understood is a good thing. It means the government can't tell you what to believe and the church can't tell the government to enforce religious laws. However, when the some of the, oh, come on, United, I just went blank on their name, Civil Liberties Association. ACLU? Yeah, ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union. Uh, they come in and say, oh, separation of church and state means a Christian is not allowed to speak. Excuse me? Freedom of religion and freedom of speech? <laughs> oh, you can speak. You just can't force other Americans to follow your religious beliefs. But you can speak. And so they've gone way too far one way and others go way too far the other way. True religious liberty right up the middle is really a good thing. Um, Christian dominionists are those who want to enforce Old Testament laws, including death penalties on people who don't practice religion the way they want it. They're Christian dominionists, and there are lots of them in this country. Another name that is starting to come into play is Christian nationalist. Dominionists are united in their belief that conservative Christians should take complete control of all political, secular, and cultural institutions in the country. It's their divine call to war. It's a scary thought if they were getting control and you don't agree with them. There's a right-wing fringe group building multimedia empire near Detroit. This is a Catholic group, church militant, a fringe group claiming to be Catholic but denounced by the church, uh, at least some in the church, broadcast pro-life, anti-gay, anti-feminist, Islam-fearing content on its website. So if you just look up church militant on the internet and you're going to get this. I, I look at it quite often. Its leader, Michael Voris, has compared Trump with Constantine, the Roman emperor, whom he says was not a moral man but a power-hungry egomaniac, but who saw it desirable to end the persecution of Christians. He was a human vessel who elevated Catholicism to its state religion. He united church and state for political power. Even though he wasn't... Michael Voris thinks it was a good thing because it gave the Catholic Church political power. But what did it also do? It corrupted the biblical teachings of Christianity. Power corrupts. Absolute power absolutely corrupts. You get a church involved in politics and it gets nasty because church leaders start bending their beliefs for political reasons. Happens all the time. So... The United States is the second beast with lamb-like horns was first presented in 1850 by two different guys that I found in the same year who started teaching this. Samuel Rhodes and J.N. Andrews. Uh, 1850s when the Fugitive Slave Law was put into play where even if you were opposed to slavery you would go to jail if you didn't turn in a slave that you knew was runaway. And they said, hey, the United States is acting dragon-like in this. Both Rhodes and Andrews were opposed to slavery. In 
May of 2016, President Obama actually made it official that the American bison is the official mammal of the United States. There were many of us who wondered for some time, we don't know exactly what John saw, but it was a beast with lamb-like horns that could be really ferocious. (laughs) The American buffalo has little lamb-like horns, but have you ever seen one of those guys get mad? I live in Idaho. We do have bison or buffalo there. And in Yellowstone, you can go watch the dumb animals. And by the way, I'm talking about the people. (laughs) Why? Because they get out of their cars and they want to get a picture by this cute little buffalo calf. The dumb animal is the human. Because these guys and the mamas... They have a very short fuse. And you don't want a ton of buffalo coming at you. I have watched people take running jumps into open car doors. If you're a dumb human, leave your car door open. I watched video of somebody who did not do that. And the buffalo ran them over. Supposedly they survived, but I don't think it felt good. Confession. I have been the dumb human. (laughs) But never with a buffalo. I knew better than that. Ever heard of Avery Island, Louisiana? I used to live down there. Ever heard of Tabasco sauce? It's made on Avery Island. And they have this nice uh, swamp park. And, you know, there were these alligators all along the shore sunning. And I decided I want a picture near one of those alligators. He was only about six feet long. And so I kneel down. And he's watered, you know, it's a little, little ways down, a little bit more than this, but he's probably about three feet away from me this way and about two feet down. It's probably a little too close to be to an alligator. My son sits on my knee and my wife takes a picture. You know, after you take a picture, you lower the camera. That's when you miss the show. (laughs) Because at the moment she lowers the camera, that gator decided he didn't like me being that close. Do you know that when a gator attacks, there's a flap that closes in their throat to keep water from going down? And you all of a sudden see this white flap close? I watched it close as I was looking down his throat. You're not supposed to watch that happen from this close. (laughs) Now, what I was doing looking down his throat is I was trying not to fall into his throat. Because when my son realized what's happened, he uses me for starting blocks to launch this way, which sends me that way. Now, the gator, if he wanted to have me, he'd have had me. He just wanted to send me on his way. The problem is I was trying not to fall into his mouth. I didn't. I finally got my balance and headed the same direction my son was headed. (laughs) So yeah, I've been the dumb human. But if you mess with a buffalo, it's not going to end well. Unless you're heavily armed. (laughs) All right? And so yeah, it seems to match. It matches in many ways. Now the real question is, Could the United States work together with the papacy? Well, they already have. By the way, 
what my artist done here, obviously, is you have the U.S. Capitol on the left and the Vatican on the right. It looks like there's some similarities, doesn't it? You take a satellite shot down on the U.S. Capitol, the mall in Washington, D.C., and St. Peter's Square. They are laid out in the same pattern around a central obelisk. That obelisk in Washington, D.C. is known as the Washington Monument. Hmm. There are many similarities. Basically, the architect of the United States Capitol used the Vatican as a model, and he made a larger scale than the original. Vatican's the only thing that's been around for as long as it has. All other countries came and went faster. It's the one that's the longest lasting. That's why it was the model. But here's the deal. Time Magazine, 1992. This was one of the secret, great secret alliances of all time. Reagan and the Pope agreed to undertake a clandestine campaign to hasten the disillusion of the communist empire. Step by reluctant step, the Soviets and communist government of Poland bowed to the moral, economic, and political pressure imposed by the Pope and the President. Remember the fall of communism? Right around 1990? Well, before it fell, Ronald Reagan and Pope John Paul II got together. Oh, one's representing the U.S., the other the papacy. And they made a secret alliance. Under the secret alliance, the Pope was going to ask his churches and his priests to become uh, resistant to communism and push back harder than they had been. He's also going to support what's called the Solidarity Movement, the shipyard unions in Poland. Ronald Reagan will also support the Solidarity Union, and Ronald Reagan will also push on the Soviet Union through an arms race. The Soviet Union is about to go bankrupt at the time, and Reagan thought, I can push him over the edge with an arms race. And he goes into something he called Star Wars, weaponizing space. The intent is to bankrupt the Soviet Union. And then Ronald Reagan throws in his wild card which was arming the Muslim freedom fighters in Afghanistan. You see, the Soviet Union had decided that they were going to invade Afghanistan. And they were really getting bloodied up down there. And Ronald Reagan thought, you know, if I arm those Muslims that are fighting against them and train them, we could turn this into a Soviet Vietnam in Afghanistan. And it worked. Except... One of the guys that was trained and equipped happened to be a guy by the name of Osama bin Laden. It was a wild card that would later come back and bite. But under the combined pressure of the papacy, Ronald Reagan, and some radical Muslims, the Soviet Union collapsed like a house of cards. So could they ever work together? They have when they have a common enemy. Oh, what's their common enemy now? Radical Islam. This one is from the people of Afghanistan. You see, after the Russians got kicked out of Afghanistan, the United States thought we could do a better job. (laughs) I see somebody rolling their eyes. Afghanistan is known as the graveyard of empires in history. Nobody's ever done a good job there come out doing really well. But the United States went in, and at first the U.S. did pretty well. This is 
what I call a backhanded thank you gift from the people of Afghanistan. You know, you can give a thank you gift that really has interesting implications, and you've heard a picture's worth a thousand words, right? That's the case here. You're Texans. Recognize this man? That's George W. Bush. Uh, It's one nation under God. There's Jesus. And notice he's a very patriotic Jesus. He's got lots of flags. One nation under God. But we have some issues here. Look at Jesus. Recognize that symbol? Anybody know the name of that symbol? Sacred Heart. It's a Roman Catholic symbol, isn't it? So you have a Roman Catholic Jesus version of Jesus up here over George W. Bush. Have you ever seen George W. Bush wearing a papal robe before? That's what they have it in him in. There was a chart or poster or whatever that was over on the side and... And uh, I've read it. Under the picture of George W. Bush, it says that the people of Afghanistan don't recognize separation of church and state. That's why they have him in papal robes. I would tell you they know exactly what they're doing. Why? Because during the Crusades, who is it that sends Christian soldiers into the Middle East? The Pope does. And ever since, whenever Christian uh, soldiers that are coming from a nation that the Muslims consider Christian, they call them what? Crusaders. And so when the United States goes into Afghanistan, the Muslims are calling them crusaders. And half the Americans or more don't get the symbolism that they've got on there and backhanded thank you. Calling the United States the enforcer for the Vatican. Revelation chapter 13, the United States becomes the military enforcer for the Vatican. They were figuring it out faster than Americans were. Now take a look at this one. Jihadi John says to Obama, said to Obama, the dog of Rome, today we are slaughtering the soldiers of Bashar and tomorrow we will be slaughtering your soldiers and with Allah's permission we will break this final and last crusade and the Islamic State will soon, like your puppet David Cameron said, begin to slaughter your people on your streets. And since then, yes, even the Islamic State has killed Americans on the streets of the U.S. But did you catch what they're calling Obama and the United States? The dog of Rome. Why? I will show you Tuesday night the stories, the news stories. But on August 7, 2014, the Pope called for military action against a Muslim target. And within 36 hours, the U.S. struck the target. Therefore, according to the Muslims, the U.S. is the attack dog for Rome. If this is all true, and I've got the backup for it, the United States is already turning into the dragon-like beast enforcing for the papacy. They work together to take down their common enemy, communism. They're working together on their common enemy, Islam. It's beginning. The change has not completely happened. But it's begun. 
Trump, while running for president, was asked what he would do with radical Islam. He said, the point is they want to do serious harm. We have to take them out. We have to take them out very, very swiftly and viciously if necessary. We've got to destroy the brand of jihad. And according to Daniel 11, eventually radical Islam is overthrown. Some people ask me, by the way, Trump claimed it was overthrown, but it's actually still active. So this conflict is basically in a, in a rebuilding mode right now. And it will burst out even worse than it was before. Some people say, hey, this fire from heaven, is that the United States news using nuclear weapons? I understand that thought, but no, it's not. Um, why? Nuclear weapons, fire from heaven, would tend to kill people, right? The fire from heaven in Revelation 13 does not kill people. Let's take a look at it again. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Notice, the fire from heaven does not kill, it deceives. So what is fire from heaven biblically? We have Mount Carmel. In Mount Carmel, Elijah, well, first he'd gone to King Ahab and said, because you're worshiping Baal, there will be no rain till I say so. Ba- there's, there's humor in this stuff, folks. Baal is the, god, the storm god of thunder and lightning and rain. If you're going to worship Baal, there's no rain. <laughs> See how well he can do on giving you rain since you're worshiping him. When the God of heaven says no. Three and a half years later, there's no rain. And Elijah shows back up and the king says, oh, you're the one that's troubling Israel. And he says, no, I'm not. You are. Gather everybody together up on Mount Carmel and we're going to have a contest to see who the real God is. So he comes up with 400 plus prophets of Baal and all the people of Israel. And Elijah shows up to defend God. Elijah acts like he's the one in control. He doesn't seem to notice he's outnumbered over 450 to 1. And he says, okay, here's the rules. You build an altar, and later I'll build an altar. But you build an altar, you put wood on it and a sacrifice on it, and you call to your God Baal, and you see if he'll bring fire down from heaven. The real God will bring fire down from heaven. I mean, there's not much they could do about it because, according to them, their thoughts, no but God can do that anyway. They knew their God didn't really do much. But they start dancing around their altar and their sacrifice and they start cutting themselves to show how serious they are and they're begging Baal and Elijah stands back and he says hey guys maybe he went on a long trip yell louder a little while later maybe he's sleeping you better really yell loud see if you can wake him up these guys already already wanted to kill Elijah and now in front of a crowd of almost everybody in Israel he's making fun of them you better make sure you're right before you do this. <laughs> After a while, Elijah says, my turn, your God just failed. Elijah builds an altar. He puts wood on it. He gets an animal sacrifices. He has them dig a trench around it and they pour barrels and barrels of water over it until the, everything's soaked and there's trenches are all filled with water. And Elijah gets a long ways away from that altar. If you're Elijah, you are not standing beside the altar when you pray. 
And he asked God to show him who the real God is with fire from heaven. And it burns the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the water. And it says, when the people got up off their faces, they hit the dirt. Because all of a sudden, it's gone. And when they got up off their faces, they said, Elijah's God is the real God. That's fire from heaven. That's literal fire from heaven. However, in Acts 2, there's another kind of fire from heaven. And it's even more appropriate for what we just read. Here at the upper room, there's the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And tongues of fire descend on the apostles, the disciples' heads. And they begin to work signs, wonders, and miracles. Oh, in Revelation 13, there's fire from heaven and they use signs, wonders, and miracles to deceive. No wonder in the New Testament, it tells us, don't believe just signs and wonders, test all things, find out what's true based on God's word. Notice 2 Thessalonians 2. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Do you really love his truth? Is there anything in the Bible that you know of that you are not following? If you are not loving God's truth and not following what he's revealed to you, that just says you're in trouble. You keep reading. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie and that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You either believe the word or you're deceived. Now get this, fire from heaven causes signs, wonders, and miracles, and it deceives people. You are looking at a counterfeit outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There is a real working of the Holy Spirit with signs, wonders, and miracles. There's a counterfeit. How do you know the difference? By what gets taught. Is it really biblical or not? Hmm. So you're going to have a huge revival. Will there be physical fire from heaven? Possibly. Will there be spiritual fire from heaven, a revival? Definitely. I believe there will be both a real one and a false one going on, probably almost at the same time. Now, we have this beast with lamb-like horns that becomes the false prophet. Hmm. How do I know the beast and the false prophet The beast with lamb-like horns and the false prophet are one and the same. I actually read the verses carefully. Let's take a look at them. Here is the false prophet. Then the beast was captured, and who's with him? The false prophet. So we have a duo working together. Who works signs in his, the beast's presence. So he works signs in the presence of the beast, by which he deceives those who receive the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. So there's four key things there. Let's go back and see what the beast with lamb-like horns does. He performs great signs, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. You got the duo again. He causeth all to receive the mark or the name of the beast. It's the same description. Here's what's happening. The beast with lamb-like horns starts out good, but when it starts speaking like the dragon, it becomes a false prophet. Now, If I'm speaking for God, I'm a 
True prophet, right? If I'm speaking for the dragon, I'm a what? Oh, so once you speak like a dragon or for the dragon, you are the false prophet. The description is the same of what it does. It starts out doing as a beast with lamb-like horns and it morphs into the false prophet. And once it speaks like a dragon, it's now called the false prophet for the rest of the revelation. These two, the beast and the false prophet, were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now, interesting thing, that tells me that the papacy and the United States will continue working together to some pretty close extent, right up to the very end. Have you ever heard that the United States is in decline? There are lots of books and articles about it, and the reality is it is in decline. All right? It's still got the strongest military in the world. Which is more dangerous, a healthy bear or a sick bear? A sick grizzly kills more, or a weakened grizzly kills more people than a healthy one. Because all of a sudden he looks at you as somebody who can't run as fast as he can. And, he, and his weakness overcomes his fear of messing with the human. A strong superpower doesn't have to use its strength very much because nobody wants to mess with it. But when a superpower starts weakening, everybody starts messing with it. Excuse me, isn't that what you're watching in the world? And it may force that superpower to use its weapons. There are weapons that I'm pretty sure we don't know about. I know of some weapons that have never been used in warfare. The United States has a fuel bomb. What happens is they, dis- they take this bomb and they blow it up over a battlefield. And what it does is they drop it from a plane and it vaporizes fuel over a large area of a battlefield. And then it ignites it. And it goes in a huge explosion that takes the oxygen out of the air and all living things in that area die just like that. Fire's gone after the explosion. Everybody's dead. You just go in and pick up the weapons. It's never been used in combat. What happens if the United States feels cornered? They would start using weapons, possibly including nuclear and all kinds of other things. So you corner them, and we'll see what happens. Now, there's a false trinity in this. I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons. The dragon's ultimately Satan. The beast, papal-led Christianity. The United States working along with them. It's my understanding. Protestant U.S. joining in with it. Three of them. And there are spirits of demons working through them, so it's not God, the good side. Performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So they're fighting against God at the very end. Now let's take a look at how the true Trinity is supposed to work. God the Father gives power and authority to his son who has a three and a half year 
ministry from his baptism to his death on the cross? 1260 days? He gets a fatal wound on the cross, but revives with great power at the resurrection, correct? Right after his resurrection, the Holy Spirit is poured out with fire from heaven, working signs, wonders, and miracles, enabling the work of the Son, thus leading people to follow God the Father. That's how it's supposed to work. Let's take a look at the counterfeit. The dragon, Satan, gives power and authority to the beast. It says so in Revelation who has a 1260-year ministry, counterfeit ministry, receives a fatal wound in 1798, comes back with great power, and after it comes back with great power, the false prophet shows up, works signs, wonders in heaven with fire from heaven to enable the work of the beast and thus leading people to follow the dragon, Satan. Wow. What an interesting counterfeit. You see, if I'm a counterfeiter, What bill would I want to counterfeit if I was a counterfeiter? You happen to know which bill gets counterfeited more than any other? $20 bill. Why? If I counterfeit a $100 bill, it's a lot harder because they have anti-counterfeit stuff worked into it. And people look more closely if it's a counterfeit. If I counterfeit a 50, they're going to check kind of close on that too. 20 is common enough. How often do you even look carefully at it? Most people don't look hardly at all at it, right? But a 50 and a 100, 100 you definitely kind of take a look at, right? But, you know, you wouldn't want to counterfeit a $1 bill too bad because that's a lot of work for a dollar. <laughs> so you're going to go as high as you can and stop there so you don't get caught, so to speak. $20 bill's it. But suppose we have a greedy counterfeiter, knows he can't do a 50 because he'll get caught, but he wants more than $20. So he counterfeits a $30 bill. How well would that work? If somebody tries to offer you a $30 bill, the only reason you take it is because you wanted the souvenir. (laughs) Because you know it's not right. Do you think Satan's going to come in and say, hey, I'm doing the counterfeit, or is he going to come and say I'm the real thing? It says he will show up even as an angel of light from heaven. Revelation says, be ready. Fire from heaven. Here's the catch. In Ahab's time with Elijah, fire from heaven shows you who the real God is, right? In Revelation 13, it warns us right at the end, fire from heaven doesn't show you who the real God is. It shows you who the counterfeit is. And it wouldn't have been fair if God didn't tell us first. But most people aren't carefully watching, and so they will be deceived fire from heaven. You've been warned. Revelation 13 says, fire from heaven deceives this time around with signs, wonders, and miracles. Make sure that whatever is being taught with miracles matches God's word. You see, miracles only mean there's supernatural power behind it. It can be God or Satan. Who are other allies of the papacy? Revelation 17 gives us a good idea. But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. By the way, Rome's known as the city of? 
Seven hills or seven mountains? They're really little mountains in my estimation, so I go with hills. But anyway, there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind. They will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb. Remember, it says he's going to gather everybody to fight against God and the lamb. And the lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. So remember when the Roman Empire divides and Rome and it goes into ten horns? That's the European area. And so what I'm expecting is right at the end, Europe also joins in with the papacy. And in a war with Islam, who do you think they would join with? Papal-led Christianity or radical Islam? Radical Islam is already helping NATO work together in harmony with the papal thoughts. I'll explain that even more Tuesday. Well, so I look at the King of the North Alliance as led by the papacy, supported by the U.S., and Christian Europe, so-called Christian Europe. We have a name for it. North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It's interesting. The king of the north has the power of NATO, according to prophecy. Now, with that in mind, think of this. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, attacking papal-led Christianity. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with all his borrowed forces from NATO with chariots, horsemen, and many ships, and he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. You see, if NATO was truly in a holy war mentality, it wouldn't take long to wipe out the radical Muslims. Do you know why it doesn't work right now? Because NATO, the United States and NATO, are fighting under separate rules of engagement from the radical Muslims. The radical Muslims are fighting under holy war rules, which means they can kill men, women, and children at will blow up historic places, whatever they want. NATO and the West are fighting under basically Geneva Conventions. They try not to kill women and children. They try not to blow up historic places, etc. That definitely gives an edge to the radical Muslims. But you know what a holy war is? It's when both sides decide like to act like the devil in the name of God. And they both look at each other and say, well, you're all of the devil. We can kill men, women, and children. We can blow up all your religious sites. We can do whatever. And once papal-led Christianity side, NATO, goes to that same point, it will be very quick. Because you just turn parts of the Middle East into a glass parking lot. Nuke a couple of spots. What happened to the radical Muslims in that area? They're gone. Once it gets into holy war mentality, it's really vicious. That's why a holy war is the most unholy of all wars. Because when you act like the devil in the name of God, I hate to tell you this, but you're of the devil. The one you're acting like. Dragon-like speech and actions. Do they come from the political left or the political right? My answer is yes. Which side has taken away liberties? Both. Which side has given them back? Really, neither. They all say, well, they did it. We can do it too. Ever notice that tendency? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Growing trends in the United States and Europe. Christians will defend their faith at some point if these barbarians continue to force the issue. The Crusades need not be over. And friends, all across Eastern Europe, they are really turning against the radical left and radical Islam. They've experienced both. They don't want to go there. They are the new leaders of Europe in this trend. What about China? The weeping merchants, probably, of Revelation 18. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Their list of priorities starts out with what? Gold, basically money and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet. Where did Marco Polo go to get that kind of stuff? The Far East. Every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of the most precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrant oil, and frankincense. That's Far East too, isn't it? Wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, and chariots, bodies and souls of men. Well, let's see. Where do your tennis shoes come from? China. Where does your garlic powder come from? China. Where do most of your medications come from? China. Who's the merchant of the world? China. And if radical Islam and the papal-led Christianity get in a war, who loses their markets? If they really do damage to each other, China is in trouble too. They're sitting there at the distance going, oh no, what happened to us? That matches. But I want you to notice one other thing as I close. Number one on their list was gold. The bottom thing was the bodies and souls of people. Ever heard of human trafficking? They actually traffic organs out of China. They will kill anybody. You're involved in a riot in China? your organs are likely going to be sold on the black market for organs. And China will be collecting the money for it. So money's number one. People are at the bottom of the list. Do you know who the buyer is for human trafficking, including the sexual trade? On one side, it's radical Muslims. On the other side, it's the so-called Christian world. But God reverses it. He puts people on top of his list and gold on the bottom. How do I know that? In heaven, he paves the streets with gold. And he lets you walk all over it. He wants you to know in his sight you are worth more than all the gold of this universe. In heaven, it just becomes gold top for you to walk on. How many people are out here carving up blacktop to put in their pockets? Not many, because you wouldn't get much of that blacktop. And I mean, you know, it's, it's just paving material. In heaven, gold has become paving material. It's just gold top. But you will walk all over it if you trust in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? You may have been abused in this world and some of you have been horribly abused. Just statistically, I know that's true. But God loves you. And he's going to do away with pain and suffering. 
and he put you on top his priority list. Always remember that. So, King of the North Alliance, led by the papacy, supported by the United States and Christian Europe. We've got NATO and almost everyone else. Why? Because according to the prophecy, moderate Islam joins with papal-led Christianity. The Hindus hate radical Muslim. The Buddhists hate radical Muslim. Even the moderate Muslims hate radical Islam. Almost everybody joins with papal-led Christianity. That's why in Revelation 18.3, it says in all the world, or 13.3, and all the world follows the beast. Because they did it to Crusades, they did it to Ottomans, and they do again in the third and final conflict at the time of the end. See why this prophecy is important? If it's happening right now, and it's a short conflict, it means it's time to be ready to meet Jesus Christ. And it's time to work on helping other people be ready to meet Jesus Christ. So, um, you have papal-led Christianity. That includes the United States and NATO. Next, we're going to find out what about Israel in this prophecy, and then we're going to pick up Islam and put all the pieces together for you on Tuesday night. All right, pull out your response envelope. And uh, statement number one, you put a yes, no, or question mark. Circle the yes or the no. Again, it's your opinion. In Revelation 13, inspiration describes two beasts or political powers that play a dramatic role in today's end-time events. These two powers are understood to be the papacy and the United States of America. If that makes sense to you, say yes. If you disagree, put no. If you're not sure, question mark. Simple enough? Number two, while the U.S. starts as a freedom-loving nation promoting religious freedom, Revelation 13 predicts that it will become dragon-like. It will then force the world to follow the beast or the papal system. Now, friends, I love the United States. I travel outside the United States in places where there is no religious freedom. I've been in Boko Haram territory, traveled in and out in hiding in northern Nigeria. I've been in countries where if there's a murder, there is no investigation unless the victim's family can pay the police to do it. In those places, the rich literally have license to kill. And when I'm in one of those countries and the airplane wheels touch back down in the United States, I'm just really happy to be in the top of the plane and not in a body bag on the bottom. And I know that when the wheels touch down, the police are better than they are bad. They're not perfect, but it's better than a lot of places in this world. I know I have religious freedom. I know that the plumbing works a lot better than most of the world. I know I can eat and drink the food and the water in most restaurants. That's not true in lots of places, folks. When the airplane wheels touch down in the United States, it is so sweet when you've been in some of those other spots. But you told me you've seen it changing. It's already begun. Number three, the rising anger between the Islamic world and the Christian nations of NATO indicate that the final conflict between Islam and Christianity could be very soon. Yes, no, or question mark. And number four, in light of current events, I realize that I need to place God above all else and follow scripture as my authority. Man, I hope you're coming to that conclusion, if not already there. 
All right, tomorrow night, the role of Israel in the growing conflict. If you know somebody that needs to listen to this one, I will try. I, I will make it as a sh- slightly shorter presentation tomorrow evening to get you done in time for a meal. But that's the good news of this. If you like a presentation, you can always grab some of these, give them to some friends and say, hey man, you need to go listen to this. And they can catch the repeat. All right, let's close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for the privilege of being in this country with its freedoms. And Lord, help us each one to use these freedoms wisely to especially share the gospel while we can do it easily. Guide us in that way and help us to follow your word and not be deceived by Satan's deceptions. In Jesus' name I ask it and I thank you. Amen.